I'm the Reverend Russell. And this is the Reverend Debbie. And you're about to listen to the House of Mercy Easter service. So just a couple things before we start. Um, obviously, because we cannot do this service in person, and usually at the end of our Easter Sunday service, it's a beautiful time when we have communion, and then we have the living waters there that we splash each other and we bless each other um, with the words light and life and anoint each other with this water. And so what we thought would be great today is at the end when we get that to that point, you could serve each other communion. We're going to have a hymn. We're going to do the words of institution and ask you to bless each other. And then during the hymn, right, Debbie? Yeah, but, you know, it's with the words peace and life. Peace and life. Okay, yeah. 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 So during the hymn, they can serve each other communion. And yep. and if you have some, get some little holy water thing, just any kind of water. And we're going to, like, you know, from our point right from right now, Debbie, tell me when you're going to do it. We're going to bless that water so it's holy water. Whatever water you use tomorrow, right? Yep. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm blessing it now. Done. Okay. Because this is Saturday, and so that's a little future blessing. Um, you got to be like a, a high level wizard minister to be able to do it uh, f- in the future, but you know. <laughs> You know, yeah. you know Debbie's that level. Okay, so uh, I guess if there are any questions, okay, none. All right, Debbie, sure. Let's do this now. Let's do it now. Okay. The Easter service begins with the processional. The children are carrying the Bible. They're parading with the altar cross. They're processing with the cup and the bread, followed by the pastors who are shaking water on To the people, as they walk, the processional reaches the altar, the black cloth is removed, the elements, the bread and the wine, are placed on the altar, and the Christ candle is placed on the altar, and the Christ candle is lit. Christ is risen. The empire of death has been defeated. Christ is risen. The empire of death has been defeated. Christ is risen. The empire of death has been defeated. The congregation responds with a jubilant cheer. Won't you please join us for House of Mercy hymn number 49, The Old Rugged Cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where his dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged 
please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, help us believe you are alive, right here with us, breathing your merciful breath into our faces, longing for us to see that death has been defeated, that we don't need to fear it, even if we don't understand how or why. May we risk believing that all things can be made new and alive again and again. Amen. The guest artists are now taking the stage, shutting up their instruments, ready to play. Here they are, the Gentlemen's Anti-Temperance League. Two, one, two, three, four.
Please join me in the prayers of community. God of mercy, help us believe in resurrection. We need some tangible signs of new life, new. Not the same old, same old, suffocating empire life, but something more generative and beautiful. All along, you've led us to believe in justice and mercy, that love wins, that the darkness can't overcome the light. We pray that we will see signs of that reality and help us create the signs, plant seeds that will grow, maybe not immediately or like gangbusters, maybe haltingly or barely, crookedly, weakly. We just need you to help us believe we can grow something. We need to see a few little shoots break the surface. Today would be great. Some of us are languishing here. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of life and love, we pray that you will heal those who are suffering. Of course, we will die eventually, and we will be sick sometimes, but we pray for whatever balms you can offer to help us get through, lift some of the fear, help us feel the comfort of love. Give us some assurance that whatever happens, all will be well in some way that we may not be able to fathom, some overarching mercy that can hold us. We pray for those in this community and beyond for whom death is not theoretical, but right before their eyes. We pray for peace and light and beautiful moments and relief from pain. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Once again, the Gentlemen's Anti-Temperance League. One, two, three, four. Seems every night I sing the same tune How like a dog in a red moon The words ring true But it never sounds right without you And how many times must the nightingale sing before the sun rises again? Till I see you again How many kisses will we share then? Count a thousand and two And two thousand more We'll count and we'll count Till our tongues get sore And when we lose track We'll start all over for more How many kisses will we share then? 
both in it too Then two thousand more It'll count, it'll count Till our tongues get sore When we lose track We'll start our I sing the same tune How like a dog in a red, red moon The words ring true But it never sounds right without you And how many times Was the nightingale sing Before the sun rises again the sun rises again Before the sun rises again Before the sun rises again The reading for the, today is from the Gospel of John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, and he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
We were supposed to be together. We were supposed to all be gathered together. The congregation congregating, the community communing, our Easter best music and smiles fumbling in house of mercy, self-deprecating style to somehow jubilantly proclaim that Christ has risen, attempting maybe to break out of our introverted or skeptical or bookish selves, to draw a little from our evangelical past or wherever we might find a referent for jubilance, to proclaim Christ has risen with an exclamation point, not a question mark or an ellipsis. A period even would be a success. And there would be jubilance in stumbling together, it being a confession, acknowledgement, or acceptance that, yes, this is who we are, and we have found each other, a whole community of creative, questioning, wrestling, passionately skeptical, mercy-loving folks tending to one end of the extrovert-introvert scale. We were supposed to be able to look at each other's faces and smile and shrug. Yes, this is who we are and how we are, and isn't it beautiful to be together in it? We were supposed to be in Matthew. We were supposed to be reading the Easter story from the Gospel of Matthew, according to the Revised Common Lectionary, which we usually follow. This is year A, which means the Gospel of Matthew. But occasionally, we set aside the Revised Common Lectionary, to create a lectionary around a theme that should be more immediately addressed. This year we designed the Creation Apocalypse Lectionary to address the urgent issue of climate crisis, which is why we're reading from the Gospel of John instead. It is, the part, it is part of the new lectionary we designed. We're supposed to be talking about climate crisis. We are not. We are not all gathered together in the same place. We are not reading the Easter story from Matthew. Which, as it turns out, maybe even though something more immediate than climate crisis needs our attention, it turns out to be the right thing, the right time for John's Easter story. Matthew's resurrection is spectacular. Matthew's Easter morning story packs a lot of spectacle in ten verses. The resurrection in John is more nuanced. Matthew and John's resurrection narratives begin the same, with Mary Magdalene arriving at the tomb early in the morning, but immediately head in different directions. One sentence in Matthew pours on the pyrotechnics. Suddenly there's a great earthquake and an angel descends from heaven and rolls away the stone before their very eyes. The angel's appearance is like lightning. His clothes glow. The guards are so afraid of this angel they start shaking, shaking, shaking and become like dead men. Before their bodies even hit the floor, the angel is laying everything out for the Marys. I know you're looking for Jesus. He's been raised from the dead. Look, he's not here. Now go tell the disciples he's been raised from the dead. He will meet you in Galilee. The Marys take off running to tell the disciples when suddenly Jesus appears out of nowhere and says, Greetings! With an exclamation point, the NRSV includes, and Jesus' sudden appearance, it feels more like Jesus is yelling, Surprise! 
They recognize him immediately and grab him, hold on to his feet, get some quick worship in. Then Jesus repeats the instructions the angels gave them, and the Marys are off again to tell the disciples. The women in Matthew's Easter are passive, standing back and watching, while the angel with the special effects takes center stage. The angel is the first to proclaim the resurrection. And the angel sends the women off with a message for the disciples. Jesus gets just two sentences. The glowing, lightning, earthquake-producing, shake-inducing angel seems to be at the center of the narrative. John's Easter story is built around Mary Magdalene. And she has no special powers or abilities, just regular human abilities, like being present and feeling grief. She does not witness the stone being rolled away from the tomb, like the big reveal at the end of a magic trick. She finds an empty tomb open. Her first proclamation to Peter and the disciples is not, he is risen, it is, he is gone. She summons them to the tomb. They inspect it, see that it is empty, and go home. Mary is not leaving. She's weeping. She looks in the empty tomb and sees two angels who ask her a question. Why are you weeping? That compassionate question has a very different feel than Matthew's Angel's opening line, do not be afraid, I know what you're looking for. In John, the angels ask, they ask, they don't tell. Mary tells them why she is weeping and what she's looking for. She says, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she does, she turns around and sees Jesus. It is her action. It is not Jesus suddenly appearing in the middle of the road in front of her and yelling, Surprise! In Matthew, Jesus repeats the command of the angel to go and tell Peter and the disciples. In John, Jesus repeats the question, Why are you weeping? There is no don't be afraid because there is no jump scare. When Mary tells Jesus why she is weeping, he speaks her name, saying, Mary, I'm right here. And then it is Mary who is the first to proclaim the resurrection. The Easter narratives in Matthew and John have many parallels, but the different emphasis is very, they have very different emphasis, very different understandings of what the resurrection can mean. Matthew seems to be about power, while John seems to be about being present. In James Allison's definitive sermon on this text, he says that Jesus is standing in the quiet, the great quietness of creation having been completed, of death no longer being the enemy of creatures, but something that can be lived through and in as part of being a creature. It's death occupied by God. It's where he fulfills what he says in in Isaiah 25, which we get to hear echoes of in today's gospel. It's, uh, Isaiah 25 says, 
and he will destroy on this mountain the coverings that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. On Good Friday, he accomplished everything. He finished creation. He entered death and made it untoxic. It seems amazing to me and humbling to me now that James Allison, our saint, our bootleg saint, that James Allison wrote this sermon for House of Mercy. He first preached it at House of Mercy on Easter Sunday in 2005. This sermon, which everyone should read, like even today, you can find it on his website. Search for Staggered Vision. That's the name of the sermon. This sermon has even been the touchstone for the direction our theology has taken ever since. This is the sermon where we first heard his gleanings from Margaret Barker and the mysticism of First Temple Judaism, and where we first heard the phrase, death has become non-toxic. Death has become non-toxic was a revelation. We even used the phrase as part of our Easter proclamation for years after that. We would say, Christ has risen, and death has been made non-toxic. But it didn't quite translate to visitors. (laughs) But we were changed by this mysterious, beautiful, and staggering notion that God in Christ does not eliminate death. God does not banish or beat down death but that Jesus in his rising takes up death with him and makes it non-toxic. St. Allison says, God having entered into death and detoxified it so that the whole of creation could be brought alive. No one knew that the first day of the week was in fact going to be the first day of creation, which is where we start with John's Gospel. All the effort was Jesus' effort to enter into death for us so as to occupy it and make it non-toxic. It is a proclamation that we can believe. We can see that death has not been eliminated. Birth and death mark what it means to be a creature, a created being. This Easter proclamation marks every element of creation, birth, growth, death, and Recreation. This proclamation doesn't ignore the fear and sorrow of death. It includes it. Yes, even now, especially now, the miracle of the resurrection is that in the midst of death, we proclaim new life. It is in this landscape today, in the midst of an April snowstorm, in a landscape brown and seemingly barren, It is the hint of a green shoot pushing up through the seemingly lifeless ground that is the mysterious, beautiful, and stagging miraculousness of the resurrection. At a time when death seems to increase its hold on our world, we do not sit in despair. We act because of it. With evidence to the contrary, we proclaim the resurrection, the recreation, We break up the hard earth and plant. In the midst of mounting death tolls, we act to celebrate life in however a stumbling way, 
and we give thanks. We give great thanks. Thank you. Thank you to all you mask makers, podcasters, live streamers, Zoom meters, virtual happy hourers, newly minted homeschoolers, healthcare workers, grocery store clerks, food deliverers, fast food workers, neighbor checkers, phone callers, prayers, music makers, and quiet writers, brave governors and mayors, and Dr. Fauci Beer. Thank you. We join together to do these things because we know the hint of the miraculous in the mystery, the mercy. But more so because the mercy, even standing in the midst of the tombs, the mercy knows us, is with us, asking, Mary, why are you crying? On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. We invite you to share communion and to bless each other with the words peace and life during the hymn. Read.
your touch can call us back to life again. Fields of our hearts that dead and bare have been. Love is come again like wheat that springs up green. And now may the inexhaustible life of the Creator and the everlasting love of Christ and the peace of the Spirit go with you and be with you. Amen.